Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This time on Millennial. I think something that's really interesting about hip-hop is that at its core, it really is kind of a social commentary on the issues facing the communities that these artists come from. And I think that that, going back to Laura's point, is why it makes people uncomfortable sometimes. There's a new trailer for a Barney the Dinosaur documentary. It's coming to Peacock. It's called I Love You, You Hate Me. (laughs) And it breaks down the threats of violence and ruthless rumors that swirled around the beloved children's show. Oh, I shouldn't have laughed. Plus, we're joined by one of our listeners who gives us a slew of excellent and easy oral health recommendations. Unfortunately, even in our healthcare system, there's a lot of misconceptions about the importance of your oral health on the healthy rest of your body. Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. But Andrew, I can barely see you. Why are you so dark over there? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just recording tonight's episode from the latest episode of House of the Dragon, where you couldn't see anything. (laughs) This episode aired this past Sunday. I am still really annoyed by this. Twitter was lit up, pun not intended. Sunday night into Monday about this. Pam, did you see it? I know Laura hasn't yet. Oh, of course. Okay. Was it dark as fuck for you too? Yeah, but I'll tell you something that I had not sat down to watch it before I saw your message about it. So I waited purposefully until, you know, like about 11 p.m. And then I sat (laughs) in darkness in my room with the screen up to full brightness because I just knew that that was the only way I was going to be able to see shit. I mean, this happened before in the final season of Game of Thrones and one of the most pivotal moments. So I kind of like already I could just like visualize exactly what you were complaining about. And and I just knew I needed to go prepared. It's so it's so wild to me because, okay, so we were watching it basically live on Sunday night. And the sun had already set by that point here. So it wasn't the windows. It wasn't that there's too much sunlight coming through the windows. These scenes start, the really dark scenes. And I'm like, is this a joke? Is something wrong with the television? Then we turn off the lights. And I I remember back to when this happened in the final season of Game of Thrones. And it's like a 20 minutes of utter darkness. And then I looked at this scene again on uh, my computer screen yesterday, same problem, totally different screen, same problem. Like I said, everybody was talking about this on social media. I quickly went to Twitter and Instagram. A lot of people were 
agreeing with me as well, particularly on Instagram. People I don't even talk to, but who I know were coming out of the woodwork to complain with me. HBO was quick to release a statement to people through their HBO Max Help Twitter account because they were ready to go. They knew this was going to happen. To me, this is a creative failure and a production failure. Television should not be difficult to see. You are choosing to make it difficult, nearly impossible, to see what's happening on screen for an extended period of time. We're talking 20 minutes in this case, and it's inexcusable. And I can't believe that people get paid so much money to let a Starbucks cup make it through in the case of Game of Thrones. There was a green screen issue with the King's Hand earlier this season here in House of the Dragon. Now there's this lighting issue again, which happened with Game of Thrones 2, and there was similar outrage. Vulture wrote a whole article about this. Like I said, Twitter was on fire. I was unfocused the rest of the episode because I was so frustrated by this. It's so sloppy. This Vulture article, too, is where they pointed out that when they released a still from this exact same scene, it was properly lit, right? It was daylight. Yeah. And so (laughs) it's like either one of two things happened. One, they had not gotten the final cut yet and they released the images early, which oftentimes does happen. Two... They knew that the internet was going to slam them for this, like we did with the battle of, I think it was like, what was that big battle, Laura? Do you remember the battle for Westeros or something? Wasn't it the Dothraki when they were riding out from, I think it was Winterfell? Yeah, yeah. The Battle of Winterfell, too. Yeah. And you couldn't see them at all. All of Mm -hmm. their flames went out in the distance, and it was just like a black screen. Right, exactly. So they caught a lot of heat for that, and rightly so, because that was such a pivotal moment in the original series. But, and so I just, I I can't get, wrap my head around how they wouldn't have known that this was also going to piss off fans, because they've already seen it before. I think they know it's going to piss off fans, and I'm starting to think that they actually get off on pissing people off. Because all press is good press? Yeah, and they get off on disturbing people with the incest. They get off on these types of things. That's Game of Thrones for you. We piss you off, and and we like it. You want to know something funny? Um, You mentioned that I haven't seen this episode yet. Um, The reason I have not seen the latest episode yet is because I had the same problem with the prior week's episode where I was watching it and I noted the whole time, why is everything so damn dark? There are in particular points where there are multiple Targaryens in a scene and all I can see is their white hair. So I can't discern who is who because everything else is so dark. It really took me out of the experience of watching the show. I was frustrated And I was like, man, if this is going to be how it is, like the story isn't that compelling (laughs) to make me want to suffer through not being able to see what's happening on screen. So I think I might be done with House of the Dragon. If you thought last week's episode was bad, you're going to absolutely hate this week's episode. I don't think I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I am liking (laughs) the story so far, but man, I just... it. Again, it just really disappoints me how flippant and poorly they treat their viewers. I think it's really irresponsible and it's a really, really horrible creative choice. I mentioned this to you all previously, but it's so funny how prior to this show premiering, 
it was very clear that they were putting their stars on damage control during the press circuit in terms of trying to make sure that they separated some of the understandable criticism from Game of Thrones um, from House of the Dragon. Specifically, there was a quote making the rounds by Matt Smith, who said that none of the violence in House of the Dragon is gratuitous, because that was a huge problem with the original series. They rightly got called out for how violent it was. Um, And I just think it's really funny how none of the scenes depicting graphic violence are poorly lit, because (laughs) right after this really dark scene in this last week's episode, there is a particularly violent moment. There are two, and they're both perfectly lit. Oh, yeah, because they want you to see that. They want to give right, it to exactly. you. Right, exactly. In one way, though, this is all comforting because it's nice to know that even people at high levels of television suck this hard. Like, if you think you suck, well, right. there's people in Hollywood who get paid millions of dollars. And bottom line, you need to make television shows and movies accessible to everybody. And this was shutting out, like, I would wager 70% of people. That's how it seems based on what I've been seeing on social media. But hey, here's some really good news. Last week, we shared the Millennial Adulting Planner. We announced it for Bay patrons. And Laura and Pam have now received theirs. Can we get your quick reactions to it? I love it. I've already been using it. And it's helping me track a lot of things a lot easier because I get so much satisfaction out of checking things off my list. But also, I was really impressed with just how much time can be covered by this planner. It is two years worth of planning pages. Yeah, same with Laura. I started using it this week because we got it in the mail on Friday. So it was just perfect timing to set this up. I keep a regular paper planner throughout the year anyway, but this is such a nice companion to that because that one is a little bit bulkier and it's a little bit larger. And I can totally see myself just putting the basics down in this and popping it in my book bag or my purse to take on the go with me. So it really lends itself to putting like the most important tasks into perspective in your life. And it's already been helping me like I'm on top of my game with all of the commitments for this show, for example, as we talked about in hashing it out. So it's already serving its purpose. And I really hope that you all enjoy using it as well. And it helps you out. Yeah, we're really proud of it. We all love using planners. So we were like, hell, let's make our own. If you are a Bay patron, you can fill out the order form now and we'll get your planner to you in, I don't know, another month or so. If you're not a Bay patron, you can pledge or you can upgrade to the $10 level by Thursday, October 20th to receive yours. Just make sure you fill out the order form by Saturday, October 22nd. Still lots of time, but just do it now. Just get it out of the way now. And in addition to this gift, you get all of the benefits we have to offer at patreon.com slash millennial. And there are many. So please do check it all out. And thanks, everybody, for your support. We could not do this without you. And here's a bit of a terrifying statement from one of our listeners who is uh, listening live on Patreon right now, Catherine. They said this planner will lead us all the way to the next presidential election. (laughs) That is crazy. Oh, man. So on the last page of this, I'll just be like, vote. (laughs) 
reminder to oh self. My God. I, I'm really mad that we didn't have the hindsight that Catherine did because we could have ended the last page with a special page. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is that is a good point. Well, we'll just have to uh, print a special voting card for people or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think that we can do something like that. I mean, the reality is with people getting this at different times, everybody's going to start the first page of their planner on a different week. So where the planner actually ends is going to vary per person. So I like the idea of coming up with like a downloadable page that we can give people to 2024 gift stick in the yeah, back. Let's yeah. make a note of that. And by the way, there's no dates in the planner, y'all. So you can just start writing in. There's a week of box. So you can just write it in yourself. That way you don't have to. I was going to say that I actually really like that because obviously not everybody is used to planning week to week. And if you you can totally use this as a um, to do list like yeah. a daily to-do list too. It doesn't have to be like a traditional planner. And the fact that there are no dates attached really lends itself to that because you could just pick it up whenever you need it if you have like an especially busy week. So it's really customizable. Catherine, with the tie-ins today to the previous millennial gifts, she now says, put your Trumpster fire sticker there on the last page. We'll have to pull those out. I actually have plenty of those still. I do too. Can I have some? I yes. wasn't here when the stickers were <laughs> handed out. Okay. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Absolutely. They're pretty big. It's going to take up like half of your planner page, but it's that's okay. Maybe I'll put it on my water bottle. I can hang out with <laughs> stickers. Uh, sometimes I'm tempted to put those places like where I see a lot of stickers. Like remember, I put one on a pole near uh, where I was in Chicago. Somebody peeled it off within a matter of weeks, but then I put another one up. (laughs) Well, maybe they just really wanted the sticker. Anyway, patreon.com slash millennial. Thanks, everybody who supports us. We really, really do appreciate it. Well, last week, the hip hop and rap community suffered a huge loss. Coolio, who is a Grammy Award winning West Coast rapper, died at the age of 59, which is pretty young in hindsight. The cause of death has not yet been revealed, but we wanted to take this opportunity to kind of talk about his legacy and also talk about the influence that hip hop and rap had on pop culture, specifically in the 90s when Coolio was really up and coming. So for anybody that maybe doesn't know off the bat, he is known for such hits as Fantastic Voyage. And if you were a big watcher of Nickelodeon in the 90s, you might also recognize Coolio from the Keenan and Kel theme song because he wrote and features in that as well. But most people will probably be most familiar with his juggernaut hit Gangsta's Paradise. This song blew up when it was released in 1995. And it was also featured in the opening scene for the movie Dangerous Minds starring Michelle Pfeiffer. So a little bit of a backstory on Gangsta's Paradise. For anybody that doesn't know, like I said, it was released in 1995. And it actually features a writing credit for Stevie Wonder in the liner notes. Uh, This is because it also incorporates an interpolation of Wonder's Pastime Paradise, which is a song featured on his album Songs in the Key of Life. Stevie Wonder signed off on the interpolation only after Coolio agreed to remove two uses of the N-word along with some other profanity in there. And it was kind of crazy because they were just so ready to get this song up and running that they didn't even 
pay any attention to the fact that Stevie Wonder also was requesting 95% of the royalties to use this um, interpolation. Oh, yeah, which like understandable. Stevie Wonder is a huge artist, knows his worth very clearly. But this was also a really big deal because Coolio um, was really a part of this gangster rap subgenre movement uh, that was taking place in the 90s, specifically on the West Coast. And so he didn't want a track of his to be associated with a subgenre that was already catching a lot of heat on the mainstream stage. Um, but it all worked out in the end, and we got this fantastic track out of it. Uh, Dangerous Mind star Michelle Pfeiffer also co-stars in the music video alongside Coolio. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Coolio initially said that Disney, which was the studio behind Dangerous Minds, was worried that the movie was going to tank because when it was testing to audiences, the uh, test scores were only at 40 to 45 percent, and they'd already pumped a bunch of money into this. But after they got the rights to Gangsta's Paradise and added in, it into the opening sequence of the film, they retested it with, with audiences and the approval rate was 75%. That's wow. incredible. Which is absolutely insane. Yeah. So it was really one of those lightning in a bottle situations where the song helped the movie and the movie helped the song. And... I think that something that really puts this into perspective is this quote from Coolio himself about the music video. He said, when I first got the edit back, I was like, wow, this could be big. But let me tell you something. I had no idea it was going to take on the kind of life that it took. I totally was thinking in my mind that it was going to be a hood song. I was thinking to myself, man, with what's going on in the video and what I'm saying, there is no way white people are going to get into this song. No way. But I was wrong. Wow. I didn't know all of this history behind Dangerous Minds and the relationship between that film and the song. Kind of reflecting on this song, the 90s, and then the cultural influences that are at play here. This is probably a a different reflection to have. But I also remember uh, that Weird Al Yankovic even did a parody of Gangsta's Paradise. He did mm-hmm. Amish Paradise. Oh, yeah. And to that point, I will say that Coolio also credits, like, there was some beef between the two, but he does credit um, Weird Al for also launching the song into like a completely different stratosphere. So they're all kosher now. It's amazing that a song would have so much power to influence how it was testing. I guess it just sets the right tone at the beginning. Pam, you said the song and the movie scratched each other's back. So that, that makes sense, I guess. But it's, I wonder if Hollywood took that as a major learning lesson. Like, look, you pick the right song to open your movie and that can really help set the tone and the vibe and the mood of the audience as they see the film. Yeah. I think it makes total sense because, you know, in thinking about this song reflecting on Coolio's influence um and all of the cultural artifacts we remember from when we were growing up in the 90s, it doesn't matter if you didn't know who Coolio was, or if you didn't have much of a frame of reference for him, because you absolutely knew the song Gangsta's Paradise. I would be shocked to hear from someone that they'd never heard that song before, even if you don't know all the words, 
even if it's not an earworm for you, you've heard it somewhere. Yeah. I also think that it's a testament to the, you know, the opening line of that song is probably the most, one of the most well-known opening lines in any rap, I would say like any music song ever. I think most people at least know as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left like that. Just like opening up with such a bold statement, sampling um, a verse from the Bible, and then also turning it around to reflect the community that he had grown up in. It was just like a one two punch in the best way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it captures something I don't feel personally able to speak to, um, having not grown up in a similar community, but it speaks truth to the reality that a lot of people have experienced coming up. And I think to see that reality reflected in such a, I mean, I feel like it's a very, I don't know if positive is the right word for it, but it's a very human representation of how those two things come together. And I would imagine that it made people feel seen, especially to see the song really become an intrinsic part of like the 90s cultural zeitgeist, right? Yeah. And um, this is actually a really good time to talk a little bit about the history of hip hop. So for anyone that doesn't know, and this is just a very bare bones crash course give us three hours on it go (laughs) oh my god i probably could so hip-hop actually originated in the bronx in the 1970s and it originated on the heels of the civil rights era of the 1960s but the genre really kind of rose up as a result of economic crisis and political inequality in the black community um so there is a lot more that goes into that but it really kind of paints a vivid picture as to why the genre exists today. I think something that's really interesting about hip hop in general is that at its core, it really is kind of a social commentary on the issues facing the communities that these artists come from. And I think that that going back to Laura's point is why it makes people uncomfortable sometimes. And like I said, it really originated in the 70s. But at the time, if you wanted to be part of the movement, you really had to be going to these clubs where these DJs were spinning records, or you had to get your hands on a mixtape. So it really wasn't until the late 80s, early 90s, where you really kind of saw the explosion of hip hop on the main stage. And with that came the expansion of the genre. And that's kind of really where you start getting into the whole East Coast versus West Coast rap rivalry. Uh, Probably the biggest touchstone for this that most people have is Tupac versus Biggie. But this also really kind of goes to show how hip hop is a very regional genre. So depending on where an artist is from, you're going to get a completely different flavor of sound. Um, East Coast hip hop is going to sound way different from West Coast hip hop, which really kind of led into the rise of gangster rap, which leads us back to Coolio, but also gives birth to artists like Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg and N.W.A., Um, And this is also where we start to see people pushing back on what the genre is. And it leads us back to Laura's point, which is that a lot of people were not happy with this. So you started seeing a lot of people saying that hip hop and rap were only kind of pushing uh, violence 
into communities, that they were pro-gang life, that they were derogatory, it was derogatory towards women inherently. But, you know, at the end of the day, all of these artists were really just out here speaking their truth. And sometimes the truth is hard to swallow. And so, of course, that is something that, you know, people want to oppress. Yeah. And I thought something that we could chat about here briefly related to what you're talking about, Pam, I think it's always important to remember, especially considering that we're talking about rap and hip hop and the cultural influences um, from the Black community and the struggles that are present in these genres of music. We don't have a Black person sitting on the panel right now. We have to acknowledge it. And with that comes the acknowledgement also, and I, I think this is pretty well established at this point in 2022, that Black culture is extremely influential, but it is only seen as acceptable when it's appropriated by white people. And I thought we could take a moment here to address that. Have we ever experienced this ourselves in life? Have we ever seen it where we saw whether it was an influential artist, someone high profile, or even someone that we knew personally who was able to kind of appropriate these things that would be seen as undesirable or even bad if a Black person did them, but they got away with it because they were white? I I don't know about that, but I will say that the first Grammy Award ceremony that I was sent to cover when I was starting out was also the year that Macklemore's The Heist was up against uh, Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid Mad City for Best Rap Album. And I will tell you that the shock in the room when Macklemore won was palpable. And I don't think anybody was particularly surprised, but I do think that that is a testament to how for the Recording Academy, Macklemore's uh, version of rap was way more palatable because he's white and so is his collaborator, Ryan Lewis, than something like Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid, Mad City, which is a phenomenal album that really, again, going back to the roots of what hip hop is at its core, was detailing the ugly truth of the community that he grew up living in. I would also assume, and I don't have any data to back this up, but I would assume Macklemore's song was getting a lot more radio play, maybe on top 40 stations or just pop music stations, whereas a Kendrick Lamar song may not have been. I mean, yeah. Kendrick is... He's mainstream. Pretty, what year was this? Yeah, he's pretty mainstream. Well, Good Kid, Mad City came out before To Pimp a Butterfly. So I would say it was right before he was on the precipice okay. of, of hitting the mainstream. But to that point, Andrew, when you look back again at the history of hip hop, one of the points that uh, music historians really credit to hip hop coming into the mainstream media is this uh, collaboration that Run DMC did with Aerosmith. They collaborated oh. on Walk This Way. Yeah. And this was also during the start of MTV. So that really kind of helped propel that single onto the main stage. And it really helped them tap uh, the audience of young white people that were not getting exposed to hip hop at the time. 
but them I collaborating see. with an all white um rock group really kind of helped them cross over and they, that was kind of seen as one of like the first crossover hits for the hip-hop community so interesting call out growing up i didn't have much exposure to rap and i think part of the reason was because i was in my white bubble in suburban new jersey and certainly my parents weren't about to introduce me to rap say in the minivan on the radio, like we're going to default to classic rock or um, not even pop, like because they don't want to hear that. So I think growing up and just the demographics of the neighborhoods I was in, people just weren't playing rap music. And then, of course, I think of like MTV or I think about my cousins who are around the same age as me. Like we were just all we were listening to to the white artists. We were listening to NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears. And and that was that. And that's what we were seeing in the media most, I think. Yeah. At least with the channels we were watching. Yeah, it's it's a vicious cycle growing up and, and living in extremely white community. I've had the experience of both. I've had the experience of living in a very white community and the experience of not living in a very white community. And uh, I will say... When you are in an extremely white demographic, geographically, in terms of where you're going to school, in terms of what you're seeing on TV, uh, you start to pick up patterns of like how you're being spoon fed things that other white people want you to see. So it, it makes total sense and that you wouldn't be necessarily exposed to rap and hip hop until you got older and you moved out. Um, makes total sense. I think that's the experience a lot of white people have. Yeah. But I also want to point out that despite the fact that, you know, especially in the 90s, we saw this pushback on the entire genre as a whole. By the time 2017 rolls around, uh, there were a bunch of I don't know if you guys remember these headlines, but um, hip hop and rap had officially surpassed rock as the number one most listened to genre That's in the United right. States. So the global chokehold, for lack of a better word, this genre has had not only on the United States, but also um, in on the world as a whole is really incredible, all things considered. Yeah. And I think to that point, I don't listen to FM radio much anymore. I barely even listen to satellite radio, though. Pat has it in his car. But I feel like you're hearing a lot more rap and hip hop on the big top 40 stations uh, compared to what you used to hear previously. Well, to kind of tie a nice bow on this, we could obviously have a whole show long discussion on this topic. And it may be something that we revisit um, in the weeks and months ahead. But I wanted to see if I could get everyone to name like one rap song that's either like your favorite rap song or a rap song that you just particularly like. I can't name just one and not because I'm pandering, but I just don't have like an all time favorite rap song. But thinking of like, God, some of the I, I think we did hear these a little bit in like school dances. I'm thinking back to particularly in high school, like Ride With Me. What's your fantasy? Uh, Missy Elliott. I was listening to a decent amount of Missy Elliott. Yeah. Like Work It is amazing. Even Kanye, like Stronger, amazing song. I, these aren't all from the 90s, but like uh, Miami, Will Smith. That was huge. Everybody oh likes Will Smith. Uh, Outcast. Miss Jackson is a song that like, uh, that song might be one of the top songs that's ever run through my head. It's just it got stuck there and never left. <laughs> I love that you brought up Miss Jackson because that was actually going to be 
mine, but I have oh, another, really? I have a backup. Oh yeah, because I I just think that like I remember I have distinct memory of hearing Miss Jackson for the first time and it blew my tiny mind. I could not get that song yeah. out of my head. And at the time we didn't have Spotify, not to age us, but like it just wasn't around. So it was yeah. really hard to like figure <laughs> out what that song us. was. You had to like listen to the radio until it came back and like some DJ took pity on you and told you what it was. But yeah, I mean, like um, Outcast in general is probably one of the best artists to come out of the genre. And that's testament to that, like that we both thought of an Outcast song without even talking about this before. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's so funny about that. I was also I was going to pander because I live in Atlanta. And uh, so I was going to also pick an Outcast song. <laughs> um, I really like Roses. I mean, Miss Jackson is classic, I of am course. For real. But I'll I'll throw an alternate in there. Um, Ice Cubes, It Was a Good Day. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll also throw an extra in there just so that it's not cheating. Um, I'll throw in Can I Kick It by A Tribe Called Quest. Uh, Tribe Called Quest also has a really good album that they put out in 2016, which is supposedly their last album ever, which I highly recommend checking out. But this is just kind of one of those um, iconic bands. They're really kind of laying the foreground to the type of hip hop that we see today. And I just really love the sample of uh, Lou Reed's walk on the wild side bass guitar on this track too it's just such good vibes so if you I, i'm sure that when you hear it you'll be like oh yeah like i know that song but if you if you don't have a touchstone for it i would recommend checking it out well speaking of 90s and nostalgia i just wanted to mention another story from the past week there's been this trend recently a, a slight trend documentary showing the dark side of our nostalgia and i'm thinking of two documentaries in particular one late last year the, there was that beanie baby documentary called beanie mania and i may have recommended it at the time it's on hbo max and it's a quote shocking and comprehensive look into the nation's most absurd investment fad and an exam examination of american greed and if you watch this it just goes into like the obsessions behind beanie babies and what people will do to get hard to find beanie babies and how it flamed out really quickly but also what broke in the last week is there's a new trailer for a barney the dinosaur documentary it's coming to peacock it's called i love you you hate me <laughs> And it breaks down the threats of violence and ruthless rumors that swirled around the beloved children's show. Oh, so people... I shouldn't have laughed. <laughs> I told you the dark side. <laughs> but like, so people are seeing the title of this documentary and watching this trailer and they're like, what the fuck? People like hated Barney? That doesn't check out. So, of course, people are going to tune in and I'm going to tune in under protest, though, because I think they might be exaggerating all of the hate and i feel like i'm gonna be swindled once i actually watch this but i was obsessed with barney as a kid as were so many people around our age check out our social media this week we're gonna post a cute picture of my mom my sister and i uh with our barney dolls from the 90s part of me is not surprised because i know that there was some controversy over the the puppeteer that uh, was puppeting Elmo for a very long time. Like that yeah. came out after. Oh, right. A super, That's another good example. Yeah, yeah. That came out after a super wholesome documentary about how 
like his journey portraying Elmo and that kind of broke my heart. So I'm not surprised. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to know that there's a creepy side to all of this. It's supposed to be really wholesome. I think that we were all probably maybe a little, well, maybe not. I was going to say, I feel like we might be caught like the beginnings of Barney, but, but like, I feel like Barney blew up a little more like as we were aging out of it. Maybe. I'm trying to remember. I was really into Barney. Me too. I can't, I can't remember. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting Barney mixed up with like the Teletubbies or something. But Oh, yeah. Or like Blue's Clues, which also blew up when we were yeah, kind of aging but I, out of this. I do this. know that like every um, children's birthday party for a cousin that I went to in the early 90s had a like a Barney. Like they paid mm-hmm. somebody to come in the Barney costume. <laughs> We went yeah, to like so. a live Barney show at one point. Barney was touring around the country, and that was exciting. Seeing Barney in the felt flesh. The felt flesh. I think, <laughs> did they do a Barney on ice? Because I have distinct memory of like Barney I on ice I think they skates. did. Yeah. Barney Which, did it like, all. I need some physics to explain how that one works. Yep. Barney and friends <laughs> on ice. Okay. Well, definitely went to that. But yeah, and there's going to be another Barney documentary, or sorry, another Barney movie. I guess it's scripted in the next couple of years, and that's going to be a heart a heartbreaking Barney movie of some sort. It's still early, so we don't know many details about that. There was drama around the Teletubbies, accusations of Tinky Winky being gay, and the BBC had to come out and be like, Tinky Winky's not gay. He's a freaking children's character because <laughs> he was purple and he had the triangle on his head, so people were like, gay. And he had a purse, right? Yeah, a magic bag. Well, which is like, Tinky Winky did not have the luxury of pockets. How was he supposed to carry all <laughs> right. his stuff around? Right. Well, you know what it means if a small child who probably at this point has no concept of gender, um, is carrying a purse, right? They must be gay. That, <laughs> right. Thanks, Jerry Falwell, right. for that one. Honestly, like, I don't, I remember, this is one of those other news stories that I have vivid recollections of seeing, standing in line at the grocery store behind my mother, you know, like, as you, you would, like, read the the news, the magazine headlines, and I don't even think I really understood what that meant and why people were upset, you know? Yeah. So, but it is kind of crazy to think that they dedicated so much time to basically demonizing the Teletubbies just because one of them might be gay. Yeah. But obviously the show isn't that deep. So they clearly had a lot of time on their hands to fill the 24 hour news cycle. I'll tell you what I wish got canceled. That damn baby in the sun in the show. There was a, a baby within oh, the sun yeah. and it would like laugh and smile and look down on the Teletubbies. That terrified me. It still that haunts thing me. Was, it was nightmare fuel now that you bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> like, why is there a baby in the sun? It just didn't really make sense. By the way, coming up in After Dark today, we're going to continue uh, talking about the 90s. We have some embarrassing stories from our own lives uh, to recount and our stories about our earliest crushes. So that'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial this week. So we have an interesting interview now with one of our listeners, Nikki. Nikki recently completed her fellowship with the American Academy for Oral Systemic Health, which is the leading educational organization for dental and medical collaboration. And a couple months ago, Nikki, you approached us about discussing the importance of oral health on the show. So we're getting you on now. Welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much for having me on. Pleasure to have you on. Honestly, an honor to be here. I've listened to you guys since the early MuggleCast days. So, well, thank you. Uh, thanks so That's much. Really Appreciate sweet. It. Thank you for sticking with us all this time. Well, and it's an honor to have you here too because you're very accomplished. Tell us what else we should know about you. So, I, as you mentioned, worked for the American Academy for Oral Systemic Health, and I took that knowledge and created my own business, specializing in taking that scientific content on oral systemic health, which can be complicated and putting that into layman's terms. And so I work primarily with dental and medical practices and companies so they can more effectively communicate with their current and even prospective patients or customers. And also it is important to note that I'm not a healthcare professional. I have a lot of background and knowledge and I've done a lot of research Um, So anything I talk about is purely research and informational based and not medical advice. So just wanted to mention that as well. Good to know. Good disclaimer. Uh, You did mention you're a longtime listener and you actually have a millennial tie in in regards to your job, right? Yes. In terms of my original job, which led me to then start my business um, back in 2018, I was spending way too much time on Facebook while I should have been looking for a job. And (laughs) that included the millennial Facebook group. And so someone in the Facebook group, um, shout out to Ashley, um, posted that she was actually leaving her position at a medical dental nonprofit. And it was kind of a vague listing. And Long story short, I applied and ended up working there for a couple of years and really fell in love with the mission of medical dental collaboration for preventative health. That's amazing. That is so cool. And as you were describing it, I am fairly certain I remember that post. I feel like I remember that post too. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I remember because I remember the connection happening and I remember thinking how cool it was that people were able to give each other job referrals through the Facebook group. Yeah. That's awesome. I would, I mean, it's been a crazy four years since then. And really, I'm just so grateful that I responded to that post and saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You just never know. The group is really cool. It's a closed group. So it feels intimate. Anybody can, can join if they want. Uh, but we do keep it closed so people can speak privately. And a lot of people help each other out in there all the time, whether it's with a career or like life advice. It's almost an extension of this podcast in a way in terms of the what goes on in the group. So very glad to hear that. So this was a very interesting idea for you to pitch to us because obviously it, fe- it affects everybody in our day-to-day lives. Really important. But, and we were just, talking about this off air, it can be scary. And one of the goals today is to not scare people and for it to, despite it being close to Halloween, it is an approachable subject and it is something that doesn't have to be scary, right? It doesn't. It doesn't have to be scary. And I pitched the idea because there's been a lot of casual conversation over the past few years on the show about the fear of going to the dentist. And I've listened to other podcasts and that's been a topic. And there's really a lot of misconceptions about it. And not only in the general public, but unfortunately, even in our healthcare system, there's a lot of misconceptions about the importance of your oral health on the health of the rest of your body. Do you think part of that is just because, you know, like most uh, insurances, even if they're 
coming from your employer do not prioritize dental health. Like a lot of them don't even include it. Insurance definitely plays a really big role. And then also referrals and from medical physicians plays a really big role as well. So if you think about when you go to your general practitioner, you can get a referral for an OBGYN, a podiatrist, an optometrist for pretty much anything. But if you really think about it, has your physician ever referred you to a dentist? Right. Wow. Yeah, no, definitely not. And it's so funny you mentioned that because at the start of the pandemic, I might have talked about this on the show, I had a filling fallout and I was very eager to get that rectified before things got worse. And so I was calling around to dentist offices. They were closing their doors and shutting down how many people they were going to have in the office at a time. So a lot of them were not accepting new patients. And I had more than one tell me to go to the emergency room to deal with that. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it it really was. I, I was ultimately able to find someone who worked me in. And when I told them what happened, they were like, oh, my God, that's ridiculous. If you're going to get COVID anywhere, it's the emergency room. <laughs> that's wild. I can't believe they were going to send you to like, I wouldn't think to go to the emergency room for a dentist thing like my even no. my sister chipped her tooth at work a couple of years ago well chipped is like putting it lightly she broke off like half of her tooth but I don't, she didn't go to the the emergency room she called the dentist and went straight there because like i don't think anybody would think that they could do anything for you at a hospital a lot of hospitals will have dentists on staff oh really okay that's good to know yeah and so especially at the beginning of the pandemic dental offices i mean they're dealing with people's mouths. It's yeah. <laughs> COVID is through the air and people breathing and a dental hygienist and your dental team are right in your face. And a lot of dental offices didn't have the procedures in place to really handle that for their own safety. And so that was a really big learning curve for about a year even in terms of dental offices getting back on track in that way. I can imagine. So talk to us about awareness and that'll lead us into prevention as well. Yeah. So awareness regarding any topic is so important, um, but awareness also allows us to be preventative once we learn about things. And so before I talk about kind of how it's connected, I do want to say, and I I don't mean this to be scary because I will (laughs) explain, but 80% of adults over the age of 35 have some level of gum disease. And gum disease is a bacterial infection of the tissues and in later stages, even the bone in your mouth. And that causes inflammation, not only in the mouth, but systemic inflammation throughout the rest of your body. And that is preventable and curable with proper testing and treatment. If you know what you're treating. And so there are a lot of facets of oral health that a dental office specifically can help with for your overall health, airway, orthodontics, endodontics, just to name a few that have those systemic connections. But for simplicity's sake and as an overview, I really want to just talk about periodontal disease, which is another word for gum disease. So, And then so what can not taking care of your mouth lead to? So the 
mouth is the gateway to the body and oral bacteria that causes this infection can get into your body through your bloodstream, through even simple acts of like chewing, bleeding gums, flossing your teeth, brushing your teeth if it's not properly managed. And so what that can potentially lead to, and this takes years and decades to progress, is cardiovascular disease, heart attack and stroke, Alzheimer's disease and dementia, cancer, diabetes, um, and even pregnancy complications. Okay. And I think with, um, funnily enough, I know this about animals more than I do humans. You'll hear this at the vet. Veterinarians do a very good job at that. Yeah, exactly. So going to the dentist can be scary, and that's because it can feel invasive. There's the scraping and the creepy sounds, and in some cases, judgment. Actually, I think I was scared off early on when my childhood dentist was kind of rude and felt like he was lecturing us when looking at our teeth and cleaning them. My sister fully agrees with me, actually, that our earliest dentist was very traumatizing. We spoke about this recently. So You may resist going and you may not want to hear the truth about your oral health, but one reason we wanted to have this discussion with you, Nikki, is because you wanted to tell us how oral health and testing and treatment can actually not be a scary thing. Absolutely. And so we're talking about testing at the dental office. One of the most common forms of testing and you, you've probably, if you've gone to the dentist, you've probably gotten this test and you might not know it or know what it's called, but it's called a a periodontal probe. And essentially, that is a little probe that they take and measure all the way around your gum line, and it measures in millimeters. And you've probably, you know, been back in the chair and they're calling out numbers between one through six plus, and somebody is writing down those numbers. And what you want, what research shows that we want to look for in those results is one through three, if you hear that, without bleeding is ideal. Anything with bleeding or four millimeters or greater is a sign of an infection. And this is a great way to track progression of your symptoms because gum recession and bone loss are signs of gum disease, um, but we're not actually looking at the cause of the infection with that test. And so one of the newer tests on the market in the in the dental space is what's called salivary diagnostics. And this has been around for about a decade. And it actually tests for the specific levels and kind of pathogenic bacteria that cause gum disease. And so it's a very simple test. It's 30 seconds. You just spit in a tube. It's extremely non-invasive. And that really allows your dental professional to specifically target your care based on that type of infection and the aggressiveness of your care. That's so interesting. So if you think about it, it would be like going to the doctor with a sore throat and they're like, oh, yeah, they shine a flashlight back there. Oh, yeah, you have strep throat. But really, do they know that without actually testing the bacteria that's growing back there? And so I kind of relate it to that in that way. And there are, I I think, to your points about periodontal disease and this, the the one through six test looking for bleeding and things like that, um, 
There is a treatment option for that, right? They can do a deep cleaning. Absolutely. There's multiple levels of cleanings that are available, yeah. So you can get these numbers down. It's it's not like a permanent. Absolutely. Yes. I only know that because due to the pandemic, I didn't go to the dentist for over 2 years, and when I get back, when I got back, uh, earlier this year, I needed a deep cleaning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was one of these people, but can confirm it was just, I mean, it took maybe a little longer than a regular cleaning. And they were just like, cool, we'll see you in six months. And I'm back to normal now. So it really does not have to be a big, scary production. Yeah. Um, And I hope that, you know, people use this conversation as an impetus to make them go to the dentist. Absolutely. Please and thank you. (laughs) Pat got a deep cleaning, too, about like two, three years ago, and that was his first one. Yep. It went well. So we can get these numbers down. And I thought something we should talk about today is just great everyday preventative tips. And I've got some questions for you, too, based on my uh, daily routine. So why don't you run through some tips for everybody? Make us feel better about this and what we can do to uh, protect ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the easiest things that you can do right now is to improve your home care routine. Obviously, Talk to your healthcare professional, get tested, know where your status is. But really, if we talk about ingredients and things to typically look for and things to avoid, I want to talk about just a couple of categories regarding your normal home care routine. Obviously, you probably heard about all of these, um, but would be your toothpaste with an electric toothbrush. Um, The things that you'd want to look for in a toothpaste, if you actually look at the back of the bottle and read the ingredient list, um, things to look for would be xylitol and or erythritol. Um, These are non, these are good. Um, These are non-fermentable, non-fermentable sugars that aid, actually aid in saliva production instead of inhibiting it. And this actually helps your mouth naturally flush out bacteria with that saliva production. And then things to typically avoid would be ingredients such as sodium saccharin and sorbitol, which are extremely common ingredients found in kind of the top toothpaste brands over the counter. Um, And then as as you are brushing, don't forget about your tongue. Um, There's a lot of bacteria that can build up on your tongue that is easy, but a lot of people forget about it. And there are brushes. I almost said toothbrushes, but tongue brushes. They're they're wider, so it's easier. Yeah. To... A tongue scraper can be very effective. So you mentioned these ingredients that are in the top toothpaste brands. Why are they in those brands? So they taste better? They, yes. Primarily because they taste better. Um, okay. Those sugars that I mentioned are actually a lot sweeter than actual table sugar. And they don't necessarily ferment, but they have no benefit to your oral health. And where alternatives such as xylitol and erythritol have the same effect at sweetening your toothpaste because you want your toothpaste to be sweet. You don't want to just brush with (laughs) the raw ingredients. But ingredients such as xylitol and erythritol actually help your dental health. Okay. So what brands do you like? What should we be looking out for? There are a couple of brands that I would recommend you look into. They would be um, Spry 
and Byte. Um, Byte actually is super eco-friendly. They make little tablets and they ship in little glass containers. Um, they actually have a subscription service too. So cool. Aww. This is exciting. It's it's a nice site too. I'm I'm definitely going to order. And Laura and Pam, we're all sluts for Costco. And uh, I did us a favor. I went on Costco's site and I looked to see if Costco has either of these. They don't. So oh, <laughs> you got to be all excited. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I was excited, too, in hopes that they actually would carry. I thought you were about to drop some wisdom on us. No, no. I wish I could be doing that right now, but no. And I just bought the Crest like five pack like a few weeks ago. Damn it. Time to return it because I haven't opened it yet. But no, these are these are really great tips. I I'm not hell bent on great taste, so I don't mind sacrificing taste for something that's actually going to work better. I mean, those brands, you're not sacrificing taste at all, though. Honestly, you'll never notice the difference. Oh, great. One thing I because I'm kind of particular about my toothpaste, but usually I, I just want something that is like a like a paste, you know, like a white paste versus a gel. Is that going to be, is that shitty for my teeth? Like, should I be switching over to a gel formula? (laughs) No. Are you talking about something that doesn't foam as much? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like this, it's like a white paste or it's like, it's like you can't see through it. Yeah. So the Bite brand actually doesn't foam nearly as much as Spry in terms of the brands I mentioned. So that might be something to look into. So after after you brush your teeth or brushing your teeth and then you also talk about flossing, right? Yes. That's what yep. everybody hears. You got to brush and floss. Um, so very important um, is cleaning interdentally. So you don't necessarily have to use traditional string floss. Um, there are really effective methods as well, including soft picks and water flossers that can be really effective at removing that bacteria and stuff that gets stuck between your teeth. Nikki, this excites me so much because I hate flossing like so many people. And I have had a water flosser for about a year. And actually, I bought it at Costco because they had a discount on this like two pack. There's a full size one that it comes with and then like a travel size. And I, <laughs> it says on the box ADA certified. And uh, I... Did some light Googling, but I didn't look too hard because I didn't want to I didn't want to read that these things actually suck. My (laughs) aunt actually is a dentist and I heard her say a while ago that she really likes the water water picks. She as as uh, one of the big brands is called. Um, But she was like she was an ambassador for water picks. So I thought her opinion was just biased and she was getting a kickback. So I never really believed her. (laughs) But I am. There's a lot of brands that have water flossers. Okay, but I'm I'm so excited to hear that water flossers are actually really good. Yeah, in fact, they can even be more effective at yes. removing plaque and bacteria than traditional floss. Ugh. And as a benefit too, they're also really great for people with less dexterity. Okay, yeah, and uh, the Costco pack, by the way, comes with a bunch of different tools. So, like, if you have braces, for example, they've got a pick that's specifically designed for working around braces. So, oh, that is so great to know. I'm gonna gleefully massage my gums and teeth tonight with the water flow with the water pick (laughs) i feel so validated right now because andrew i did the same thing as you oh sweet and have been using a water pick for the last several months and i like it it feels less invasive it does and actually i i don't mind how it feels either so oh this is great news makes my day and then what else should we know nikki 
mouthwash. Yeah. So things to typically avoid in mouthwash would be something with high alcohol content. Um, alcohol in your dental products can cause your mouth to dry out, which can lead to a balance of that bacteria that we spoke about earlier. And so the things to look for similar to toothpaste would be xylitol and erythritol, which improve your saliva production, causing the, it to naturally flush out those bacteria. Um, and some brands that I would recommend you look into there would be the Spry brand again, and then Stella Life as well. Okay. Thank you for those recs. And actually, that really surprised me about the alcohol. I actually prefer mouthwashes with alcohol because I like the burn. I feel like I'm getting a cleaner mouth. So a while ago, I recommended a mouthwash on the show. And now I feel like I should check in with you and make sure that I'm not <laughs> leading people astray. So I've been really liking the TheraBreath mouthwash. Is that pretty good? I am not an expert in that specific product, okay. but I would recommend you read the ingredient list. And those ingredients that I mentioned, um, not only alcohol, but the sweeteners that I mentioned with toothpaste would be something to look for on the back of that ingredient list. I feel like it is like, you know, I think a lot of these products nowadays, they say that they're dentist approved. Is that kind of becoming the new organic or yes. like green label thing 100%. where it's like not actually real? Okay. <laughs> So you got to be more diligent is what I'm learning from this conversation. Yeah, really, I would just recommend you do your research and ask questions for yeah. sure. I have a dumb question about mouthwash, and it's totally personal perception, probably. Why is the brown Listerine so much more harsh than the other flavors of Listerine? <laughs> I feel like people know what I'm talking about. I've seen I people don't. talk about this on TikTok. Oh, okay. I am not actually familiar with that because I would never personally recommend Listerine. Oh, <laughs> shit. You're like, I would I would never use Listerine. So, uh, Yeah, that's what I use. I buy that freaking, seems like a gallon of Listerine at, at Costco. Well, Andrew, you're going to have to throw that and your crest straight in out. the trash. Yeah, hopefully they're recycling because those are big canisters of Listerine. <laughs> I like how you brought up the brown Listerine. Like, who looks at the brown Listerine and is like, yeah, I want that brown liquid in my mouth. That just seems foul. I don't know. I would never buy it myself, but I've been places where it was the only option. Okay. And I was just like, why is my mouth on fire? Wow. Interesting. It's awful. I did have another question going back because you said that it would it's better to brush with an electric toothbrush. So do you have any electric toothbrush brands that you would recommend? Because I, I mean, nowadays, there's kind of like I don't think like designer brand is the right word, but I guess like trendier, a trendier brand would be something like Quip, which you see all over the place. So I just wanted to know if you could give us some advice on those. Yeah. So Quip is obviously a great toothbrush brand. I love their marketing, <laughs> um, but they're kind of an in-between between a traditional, a traditional toothbrush and what you most commonly see as an electric toothbrush, which would be like a Sonicare or an Oral-B because it doesn't have the rotating head. It vibrates, um, but you really want that rotating head because that can help you actually get the plaque off more. But then also the heads are specifically designed to fit around your teeth as well. Got it. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. Yeah. I've always wondered that about the Quip because I've noticed that. Me I've too. gotten them before. They do just vibrate. And I was wondering if the actual moving heads make a difference. And it seems like that is key 
It absolutely does. I think some people are thinking like, what's more economical? So they might be seeing yeah. the clip and thinking, oh, that's in my price range. So, And they're nice looking. You don't need a charger. You just pop a new double A in. And I do love right. the, that it sticks to the mirror. That's very clever if you're limited on shelf space. And something that Quip does too that I would love to give them credit for is they ship you a new one on a recurring basis, like a new head. And that is just an automatic, oh, it's in the mail. Let me switch my toothbrush head. It is important to switch out your toothbrush head every 60 to 90 days. And so they do that automatically, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Get you in on a subscription. Keep you hooked. Well, and to the <laughs> point about, you know, Quip not being comparable to some of the other models that have the rotating brush heads, I suppose you could argue that if somebody's either going to use a regular non-vibrating toothbrush or a Quip, absolutely, the Quip is a better option. It's definitely a step above for sure. I just think for traveling alone, like that could be a good travel toothbrush. Maybe like you got yeah. your real electric toothbrush at home. You keep it plugged into the wall. And then we do uh, 30 seconds in each quadrant. Right. Yep. And that's another benefit of these electric toothbrushes. They will kind of briefly pause to tell you to move to the next quadrant. By the way, when I'm high, that 30 second timer feels like two minutes per quadrant. I'm like, <laughs> shit, when is this pausing to move? Andrew, I love this for you. I'm so glad Delta 8 found its way into your life. One last category, which a lot of people actually aren't familiar with, so it's a little bit new, maybe to a lot of people, is oral probiotics. So you've, you've heard of probiotics for your gut and your digestive system. But if you think about it, the mouth is the gateway to the entire digestive tract, and it has its own microbiome of bacteria, both good and bad bacteria. And so if you take a probiotic to balance your gut bacteria, why wouldn't you take them for your oral health to balance the bacteria in your mouth? And so a oral probiotic is just like a little mint, really, and you pop it in your mouth before you go to bed. And... It not only helps with bad breath and morning breath, but it can balance, help to balance the bacteria in your mouth. Good to know. I am going to get some of these. Yeah. I, I What I like about this list is like our work is very cut out for us. We know exactly the type of products and brands to get. So this is very, very helpful. The do's and don'ts. I went a little overboard on my notes too. So. No, it's really good. It's <laughs> no, really good. No, it's... It's extremely comprehensive, but also important. One more question I had was about a product called Plax, P-L-A-X. And this is a pre-brushing plaque loosener. I've used it for years. I think I heard about it from a listener and it just came on my radar and they were swearing by it. And it just helps eliminate more plaque before um, starting to brush or it helps the plaque be eliminated when you do actually brush because it's a pre-wash. What do you think of this? So in general, if you have a regular home care routine with kind of those steps that we talked about, you shouldn't need a plaque loosener. Okay. That should be something that happens on a daily basis. It should just come off naturally. Um, also, I looked at the ingredients of that specific product and it contains, has a really high alcohol content. Um, it also has benzoic acid and sodium lauryl sulfate, which all of those ingredients can cause dry mouth, which leads to an imbalance of, of oral bacteria. 
and can cause bad breath if you use it on a regular basis. Well, yes, I do twice a day. So I think I'll give this a second thought. Thank you for answering that question. I actually really appreciate that. (laughs) Andrew, you're going to have to just get rid of all of your at-home dental care. Well, some of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm doing the right thing with the water pick and the electric toothbrush. Yeah. But plaques. Hey, that's fine. That's fine. It's it's really good to know. But you kind of get fooled because you look at the reviews and they're great. So you're like, oh, what could be the problem? I guess to to wrap things up, any other comforting facts about oral health that you'd like to share today? Yeah, in terms of comforting facts, um, a lot of the scary systemic effects that I mentioned at the beginning are things that happen over the course of years and decades. Um, So you really do have time to be proactive. And as a closing note, it would be my recommendation would be to be your own advocate research the products that you're putting into your body and ask questions. Um, Ask your healthcare provider, do you offer saliva testing? If no, why not? And is this something that you can bring into your practice? Um, Do you ask them if they collaborate or have a referral base of clinicians? So if they're a dentist, do they refer and collaborate with medical professionals and vice versa? That can be a sign that they're really thinking about your overall health and not just the health of your mouth, which is what you really want your dental team to be thinking about as they're giving you care. Um, And then lastly would be what products do you recommend for me specifically and why? Um, There really is no one size fits all approach. And so it's just really important to ask questions and it's completely preventable and reversible if you have the proper testing and treatment based on that testing. So Awesome. Thank you so much, Nikki. This has been so helpful. Again, our work is cut out for us. I'm really excited about this, actually. Me too. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Anything you'd like to plug? You mentioned your business earlier. Sure. My business is Redwood Designs. So we are a marketing and design company primarily focused in the preventative healthcare space. Cool. And uh, I mean, no pressure, but do you want to share social media or? Sure. That would be Redwood Designs LLC on Instagram. And my personal is Nikki Mackey. I have a couple of links in the show notes too for people to uh, check out. So thanks again for all your help, Nikki, and uh, for offering to come on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Laura, Pam, our listeners are so smart. I like having them on the show to educate us. I know, I know right? We need to do more of this. They really <laughs> offer up a sort of street cred that we cannot provide on our own, honestly. Right. Otherwise, I'd be like, use plaques, y'all. It's really great. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) So Nikki's going to hang around for After Dark today. We're going to, like I said earlier, discuss uh, some stories from our lives in the 90s. So stay tuned for that. It's time for some recommendations. Here's something I wanted to discuss, but we just didn't have time in today's episode. There's this new gay rom-com called Bros, and it stars Billy Eichner. And it was a pretty big deal because it is a gay rom-com released by a major Hollywood studio being released nationwide in many countries around the world. So there is a lot of um, excitement and there were some expectations and it didn't do very well. It bombed. It made half of what they were expecting it to make. So I think it's partly because the marketing sucks. I mean, that title, bros, it just, the marketing comes off as very like straight acting. I think it's partly because Billy Eichner is not a leading star. He's just not a huge film star. People who are homophobic just won't touch it, of course. 
but also the gay allies are not following through with their gay civic duties. So I demand that everybody listening to the show go and see bros. It was actually really funny. Some jokes flopped, but a lot of it was really good because here's the other thing. And we've talked about this before. If people don't see these movies, Hollywood's not going to make more of them. That's why we get 3000 Marvel sequels instead of truly original stories. So check out bros currently only in theaters. Well, um, before I move on to my recommendation, I'll just note that Marvel stories are original stories. Well, okay, but like, you know, Captain America 4. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I mean, he has a long arc. So do gays, Laura, but we're not going to see Bros (laughs) 5. (laughs) No, I mean, it's it's worth calling out for sure. Um, But to move on to my recommendation now, <laughs> um, if you're looking for a local Atlanta recommendation, um, if you live in the area or if you're ever going to be in the area, highly recommend checking out Slutty Vegan. It's a local Black-owned restaurant chain that specializes in super delicious vegan food. We're talking hamburgers, cheesesteaks, fries, all the sides that you could think of, and it is all super delicious and 100% vegan. So if that's something you want to try, definitely recommend checking it out. I've seen the burgers from this place. They look so good. I had one for lunch today, and that's why it okay. was my recommendation. <laughs> so when I come <laughs> visit so you, we're going to have to go to the Slutty Vegan. Yeah, for There's real. actually one in Brooklyn, too, and they're opening another in Harlem. So oh, if you're in the exciting. New York area. Yeah, starting to get big. To kind of tie into our conversation about hip hop and rap, I wanted to recommend Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix, which is a docu-series. I believe there are four seasons out and each season is comprised of four episodes. So it's not a super long series by any means, but specifically season one, which will take you from the origins of hip hop through the rise of uh, gangster rap out on the West Coast, which is basically what we were talking about on this episode today. So if you want more, a more in-depth look on any of that, I would recommend checking this out. It's really great. And it also features a lot of interviews from the people that were pioneers in that genre as well. My recommendation is Trixie Motel. It's a Discovery Plus show. Um, my sister-in-law is got me into it and I'm about halfway through the season. And drag star Trixie Mattel transforms a rundown motel in Palm Springs into what they deem a drag paradise, quote unquote. And it's also a real motel. And so when we travel out to California, it's my goal to stay there. Yeah. Book in advance, because actually this has been on Pat and Mai's radar too. the show and this motel because he wants to stay there. He's a huge fan of Trixie. And it's pretty expensive, A. And B, you have to book far in advance, but it looks That's like it's I worth hear. it. The, the The rooms are crazy cool looking. So It looks like a whole experience. Yeah, definitely. And in Palm Springs, uh, that would just be perfect. Cool. Good recommendation. And by the way, just a quick reminder, don't forget the Millennial Adulting Planner is available for ordering now. Become a patron 
or upgrade your pledge by Thursday, October 20th to receive yours and then fill out the order form by Saturday, October 22nd. And those of you who already are Bays, you still have to fill out the order form because we need to know that you want one and we need your current address. So please do not forget to fill out the form. We really need everybody to do that. If you have any feedback about today's episode, you can write to millennialshow at gmail.com or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're a millennial show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we are millennial pod. And don't forget to follow the show in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode and leave us a review if you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All right, that does it for this week's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Nikki. Bye, everybody. Bye, Bye y'all.